I want you to take your Bible and go with me book of Hebrews tonight and uh, get your sheet out. We're going to continue on uh, with our lesson on the Baptist distinctives and uh, with an emphasis on what it means to be a Baptist church. And uh, there's a lot of confusion in the world today. And uh, there's a lot of uh, blending today. And someone said, you know, every now and then you preach a message. I, I heard the other day I preach this uh, Wednesday night, and I don't really know what's, who's listening, but one of our men told me later that somebody listened and said, well, Brother Mark's pretty hard on that one group. And I'm like, I, I was just trying to teach this Wednesday night teaching. And I'm like, I ain't even heard no preaching yet. I was just teaching. Um, but you say this, there is a distinction. I am not um, one of these people that think only my crowd is going to get to heaven. And you ever think about this, you're going to get to heaven, going to be surprised some people's there. But you ever think about this, there's going to be some people surprised you're there. <laughs> and so I don't want to have an attitude or a spirit like I'm on one of the world right, but I do want to take what we believe from the Bible and try to teach it to another generation. And sometimes we're not careful, we lose our distinctions and we're losing them in the world today. We're losing it in all kinds of areas. And we don't want to lose that in our church. And so we're going through the Baptist acrostic. And we've dealt with uh, how we got the Word of God and dealt with biblical authority. And uh, then we've dealt with the autonomy of the local church. And the principle of the autonomy of local church is we are an independent Baptist church, which means the church itself does not belong to something else. And we choose our fellowship. We choose our missionaries. And, and we, from within, we promote our, our, our leadership. And uh, we talked about those things, so we're an autonomous group. Now we're going to deal with the third point in Baptist acrostic, and that's dealing with the priesthood of every believer. And Hebrews chapter number 4 one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 16, the Bible says this, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now here's the principle that it's going to be built on, and that is this, that we at any moment as individual believers can go to the throne room of God and we can make our petition made known unto God. And on the right hand of the Father, we have an advocate, we have a mediator. You say, what is the significance about that? Because if you go throughout history and study church history, that is not a concept that has always been there. The concept is that there's a man you must go to. Now, look, I'm thankful for a church that believes in pastoral leadership. But look, I can do nothing to make you right with God, and I can do nothing to, as far as you're standing between you and God, that is between you and God. My job as a pastor is to point you to the shepherd, not stand between you and the shepherd. And so here you find the principle of prayer. And you see this thought here about the priesthood. And we'll say, well, what is a priest? Well, if you study the Old Testament, a priest is one who mediates between God and man. And the Old Testament, the priest was the one who represented God to man and man to God. And you have the idea of the priest and they would go in and make the sacrifices. And as they made that sacrifice once a year, they would know whether the sacrifice had been accepted. And you think about the priest and there were certain rules and regulations that the priest lived by because not only did they represent the people to God, they represented God to the people. And so you have that sacred responsibility. Now, here's the thing you must understand. Well, who are the priests today? 
Well, go with me to 1 Peter. We're going to turn several places here. They're written there in your notes, but 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. And we began reading in just a moment, verse number 5. So who are the priests today? And, you know, in the world today, they sometimes say, the, they, they'll say, well, reverend or, you know, or, and uh, if you go to certain parts of the country, they call every preacher father. But I, that's not really scripturally, I, I'm not a priest. I, ha, I am a priest, let me rephrase that. I'm not a priest over people, but now look, between me and God, I am a priest. Notice right here in, in, in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 5. It says this, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice. Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. By the way, the only way anything we do is acceptable is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this, Wherefore also is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be con- confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But of them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the cornerstone. And we talked about that, the idea of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ being a stumbling stone. Verse 8, it says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they are appointed. But now notice in verse number 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we think about it, notice in verse number uh, 10, it says, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. And so he talks about our responsibilities, but notice this, a priesthood is what we are in Christ. Now, let me say this to you, with our royal access to the Father comes a righteous responsibility. And, you know, some people have this notion. They say, well, no man's going to tell me what to do. No man's going to tell me what to do. That's wonderful. That's thrilling. That's great. But that doesn't mean you don't have to be able to, that doesn't mean you can be disobedient to our Heavenly Father. And so here you find the concept of us as a royal priesthood, as a re- responsibility. So if you think about it this way, in the Old Testament, The priest had a responsibility to represent God to the people and to the people to the God. So in the New Testament, as a New Testament believer, I have a responsibility in this earth to represent my holy God to the people that are around. It's the concept of letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And so you find this, you find the sacred responsibility. Notice what we find, we find in Christ. I want you to go with me to Matthew, Matthew's gospel record, and we, I have preached on it at Easter time, but Matthew chapter number 27. So the priests are those that represent God to the people and the people to God. So if I say to you, we believe in the priesthood of every believer, that means every believer has that right to go to God, but they also have that responsibility that goes along with it. You find what happened on the cross, we find in Matthew chapter number 27. You found your place, Matthew chapter 27, and begin reading with me in verse number 50. It says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. 
If you don't have that marked in your Bible, you should mark that little expression, yielded up the ghost, which reminds you he was in control of his own death even. It says, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. The graves were open and you see amazing things happen. But you say, what was so important about that veil? That veil, that veil separated the Holy of Holies, the place that only the high priest could go into. That veil, mankind could not get access to the mercy seat. They, mankind on the outside could not get access. Only the priest could enter into, and once a year, into the Holy of Holies. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter number 10. I, I love this. This is a... Wonderful passage of scripture, Hebrews chapter number 10. I told you we'd turn several places tonight. Hebrews chapter number 10. So on the cross, literally, physically, the veil was rent in twain. The earth quaked and the graves opened. But not just figure to, or not just physically did the veil rent in twain, but spiritually the veil rented in, in twain. Access was granted. Look in Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10 is a, a really a thrilling passage. It talks about the once for all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 10 it says this, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The only way you can be sanctified there again is through the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So he repoints them back to the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament priesthood and the Old Testament law and what was going on. He said, those priests offered sacrifices every day, but they could never eradicate, they could never completely take away sin. As judgment was postponed until another year, said it can never take away sins. But notice in verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. That's one of the most beautiful expressions in Scripture. One sacrifice for sins forever. He sat down on the right hand of God. His work, his sacrifice was done. In contrast to the earthly priesthood, they're continually busy, but their work can never be done. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Then look in verse 13. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Look in verse number 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us. But after that he had said before, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts. And in their minds will I write them. As now we're thinking about what God does on the inside. It says in verse 17, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There's no more need for an offering of sin. Look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now notice in verse number 19, he says this, that we have access, and we have access with boldness. Now when you say it this way, and we've been around different places, and, and I'll use an expression that I think will help us understand that. You see some people walk in, and, and they just kind of take over, and they, we use this expression sometimes. They say, well, they walk in like they own the place. 
Have you ever seen somebody like that? You, you're waiting, you're lying, turning time, and you're trying to be nice. They just walk in screaming and hollering, and then next thing you know, they're talking to the person that you're waiting in line to see, and you're like, what happened here? And they, they walked like, I went to a place of business today to get something done, and the owner wasn't there. And the guy that was working the, sh the shop, he, he kind of cut up a little bit, and he said, well, you don't know when he's going to be back. He said, if he didn't own the place, I'd fire him. <laughs> Which he means very simply, he had every right to do what he wanted to do. It was his right to do that. Well, that's that concept of boldness. It's not cockiness. It is the concept that we have the right to come in and to say everything. We have the right to be there. So now we have this beautiful concept that we can enter into the holiest. You say, what is the holy place? The holy place is any place that we enter into prayer with him. Sometimes the holy place is a car. Try to keep your eyes open. Sometimes the holy place is an altar. Sometimes the holy place is a special place. Sometimes the holy place is in the woods. But sometimes the holy place may be lots of different places. But it is, it, it is this concept that if you could close your eyes and imagine what the right hand of the throne of the Father could be like, I, I really can't fathom it. But Jesus is seated there. He, he, the work on the cross is finished. The sacrifice has been made. And now I can walk in. You say, man, what a privilege. Access has been granted. Let me say it to you this way. We are no longer at arm's length to our Heavenly Father. We are but a prayer away from being in the holy place. As we think about it, we travel there. I don't know if you travel there in your mind as we, as we travel there. I, I can't, the Bible says not the half has been told and our human mind can think of some beautiful things and can fathom it. But to think about your prayers entering into the holy of holies. You say, but I don't deserve to be there. We've all been sanctified and set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ inside that holy of holies. And I don't want to get off on this tonight, but I'll remind you inside, inside that holy of holies was the mercy seat where the blood was applied. You say, we transform, we, we transform our lives and we walk in and as we think about our prayers going there as the mercy and the, and the grace of Almighty God. But we, the Bible says this, that we have boldness enter into look in verse number 19 again it says having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus so what happened on the cross look what happened on the cross and you got to think about it. now there's so much great preaching on the cross it's not just the anguish it's not just him becoming sin for us, and I, I that that those though that thought I can't fathom. It's not just that we think about the darkness of the cross and, and he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As we think about the Father turning his back on the Son as he became sin for us and the darkness of the world. But the thing you need to think about the cross is the glorious outcome. Not just that he was made alive again and that he was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. and Not just that he was seen bodily, but because of the cross, the veil has been rent in twain. You say, Lord, I need help. He says, come boldly into the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy 
obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it doesn't matter where you are. See, if you had to go to a man, that means you'd have to come to a man and find him and hope that he had the right standing between God. He says, no, no, no. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, the veil has been rent in twain and you enter in boldly. Having a right to be there, somebody said, well, why are you here? Notice he says this, that you've obtained it. How? By the blood of Jesus. A new and living way. We're no longer, look, we're no longer living on the outside. We're now welcome into the sacred place of prayer. So now the question asks, what does this mean to us today? So we think about the priest. We think about what happened on the cross of Calvary. We think about the responsibility. But notice a couple things with me. Go to John chapter number 14. John chapter number 14. And I'll remind you what Jesus said, and this is a verse we're familiar with, when Jesus told, when they're asking him, how do we know the way to the Father? How do we gain access to the Father? Well, he reminds us this, and he says in, in John chapter number 14, verse number 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So that means if you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have come God's way and you have access to the Father. You go with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy. And I'll get there in a moment too. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. And this is a key thought that I want to make sure you've got marked in your Bible. He says in 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 1, he said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. We have a responsibility to pray for all men. We're to pray for our friends. We're to pray for our enemies. We're to pray for those in leadership. We're to pray for world leaders. The Bible commands us, look in verse number 2, for kings and for all they that are in authority. The Bible does tell us that the king's heart is in the Lord's hand. He says that we may, lead, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all, in all godliness and honesty. That's our desire. He says in verse 3, he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Somebody says, well, what's God's desire on it? He'll have all men to be saved. That's his desire. Look in verse number five. For there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I'm thankful there are leaders in our life. There are presidents and kings. The Bible says here that we're to pray for kings. And even at this time when this, when this book was written, there was a, a, a ruler and emperors and, and things even stronger than we could imagine now. And they had great authority. They could take their life. We, we find it as we've been preaching through the book of Acts on Sunday morning that they could just arrest them basically for no reason. And eventually they'll kill them. They killed the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, they were powerful people. But in the midst of those powerful people, God reminds them that there is one mediator between God and man. 
No matter how turned upside down the world may get as far as what we're used to in America, we remind ourselves that no matter how powerful they are, there's one mediator between God and man. You find it in relationship, as I said to you, in relationship to prayer. And then I say it to you in relationship to powerful people. We have leaders, yes, we do. We have rulers, yes, we do. The Bible commands us to pray for them. And that's not always easy when we don't agree with them. But we are commanded to pray for them. And you find this in relationship to people. So the key verse there in verse number 5 says, For there is one mediator between God and man. And the Bible says this, Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And I'm thankful that he gave his life for all. Now go with me to Galatians, back a couple pages to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 5. And we understand this from a political standpoint, but this is a spiritual principle. And that is this, with all liberty comes certain responsibility. And you find in Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And here he's dealing with the subject of circumcision and keeping of the law. And he says this, look, Christ has made you free from all the bondage of keeping the law and certain things doing a certain way. And all says Christ has made you free from all of that. Then he says this, stand fast in the liberty. Now you think about it. You say, Brother Mark, that's wonderful to think that the veil has been rent in twain. Man, that's wonderful. It's wonderful to think about that I can come boldly under the throne of grace to find help in time of need. So, man, that's, that's thrilling. It's thrilling to think that there's one mediator between God and man, and he's given his life a ransom so we know he loves us and cares for us. You say, man, what a wonderful right we have. Then I ask you this question. What do we do with the right that God has given us to come boldly as a priest would? With every right comes responsibility. Look in Romans chapter number 14. Go back there with me. Romans chapter number 14. The Bible says in verse number 11, and we talk about this, this dealing with judgment, and the Bible says in verse number 11, it says, For as it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. Notice in verse number 12, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And this verse again reminds us that with great liberty comes great responsibility and that we'll answer to God for what God has given us. Uh, someone said to me uh, this week when they were talking about our church and the, 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 the opportunities we have and what God has blessed us with and they said, you know, to whom much is given, much shall be required. And that's a reminder. But now think about that for every New Testament believer. Not just me as the pastor of this church, and we're thankful for that. But now look, every New Testament believer has the right to walk in to our Heavenly Father and commune with Him. 
The Bible says that we're going to give an account for that. You say, what do you mean? That means this. Have you ever been in need? Well, we'd say, yeah. Well, what is the first thing you do? Now, if I'm having a good day, first thing I do is pray. If I'm having a bad day, first thing I do is worry about how bad things can get. If I'm having a real bad day, I complain about it for a while. And then if I'm having a real bad day, I'll probably talk to some other people about it. Now, wait just a second. Don't be looking at me like that. Don't act like you ain't done the same thing. When the Bible says, look, that he has done everything necessary, that when we find ourselves in position of need, that we can go straight to our Heavenly Father. Every one of us give an account. <laughs> go to this last verse, Romans chapter number 12. Come back a page. And Brother Stephen brought a great message from this uh, Sunday night. But I want to make one emphasis in relationship to prayer. If you find in Romans chapter number 12, verse number 1, it says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want you to notice here the statement, God's will and way are knowable to each of us. Now, we can talk about the concept of uh, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice and being not conformed to the world but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. But I want you just for the sake of emphasis tonight to notice this, that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I wish I could pretend to you that I'm, uh, I wish, I, I shouldn't say I wish I could pretend. I wish I could say to you that in every situation when I don't know what to do, I just say, Lord, you have to guide me. Now, I am thankful that there are many times that I do that. A situation tonight as we were praying, uh, not, not a huge situation, just some little things. I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to work here. You're going to have to show me what to do. You're going to have to, to guide me. The Bible says this, that that's possible. And if that is possible, then why should we live any other way? God's will and God's way is knowable. I want you to turn your back of your sheet and we won't take the time to turn to each of these passages. But I've given you some passages, some New Testament prayer passages. And I want you to notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, verse 17 says this, pray without ceasing. You say, what does that really mean? I can't tell you fully what that means, but we know sometimes we have a special prayer meeting on uh, maybe Sunday morning, the group meeting together praying, and then maybe Wednesday night we're praying, and then uh, other times you may pray, or we may pray before meals, but you say, the Bible says this, that we're to pray without ceasing. The best statement I've heard on it is this, that we should always be in the attitude of prayer. Now, there's been a few people in my life, I, only a handful, that I that were that were there, no matter what you're doing, they may stop in the middle of a conversation and say, "Well, let's let's just I, I just feel we need to pray." Or you may and you say that's shocking, but that really should not be shocking. In our own personal life, that's what we should be over and over again. Is we think, "Lord, help me now. Lord, guide me. Lord, you you know what to do here." That's the, that's the attitude of the New Testament believer. Then notice the second verse that says there for you. Therefore, I pray you. Whatsoever you do, when you pray, believe 
that you receive them, you shall have you shall have them. Now here's the second key element that when we pray, it is not just words, but it is an act of faith and dependence upon God. We pray, we're believing God. Now, I, I don't mean to be mystical or spooky, but the Bible says this that He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. Do we really believe that? Now, I can come up with some pretty crazy ideas. I can come up with some big dreams. But do I say, well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, that sounds, I mean, yeah, that'd be pretty neat. But the Bible says this, that an important element in our prayer life is the element of faith and belief. They notice this third one, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. And he shall hear my voice. I'm thankful for the promise that he hears our prayer. Morning, noon, and night, there is no wrong time to pray. Notice in verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, it says this, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When, that, when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward the opening. We're reminded, of course, that the, our Heavenly Father sees us in secret. But let me say this to you. Implicit in this verse is the concept that believers pray. He says, when you pray, this is how you're supposed to pray. So if, as we say, an emphasis in a, in a Baptist church is that we do not have to go to a father, we do not have to go to a priest, with that becomes the responsibility to pray. He says, when thou prayest. Then notice Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watch therefore with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Supplication has to do with requests being made known for all saints. There are people that we must pray for. There are people that God gives us to pray for. Then notice in verse number 8, Romans chapter number 8, and both of these verses has to do with the Spirit working in us. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helping our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You ever get to the place where you don't really know how to word your prayer? We just, it's just, it is, it is times when it's just, Lord, you, you've got to do something. Lord, you, and as you just pause sometimes in those Things, those times of great groanings, not knowing what to do. The Bible says this, that God makes a way. He helps our infirmities and he teaches us what to pray and he prays for us. But then notice in verse number nine, verse, uh, Philippians chapter four, verse six. This is a great motto for life. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Philippians chapter number four and verse number 16, or verse number six. And here's the concept. Everything we do in life should be able to be prayed about. That's a guiding principle. So if we say, Lord, help us. Lord, can help this activity. Lord, bless this activity. Lord, guide here. Lord, lead here. The Bible says this. Everything by prayer and supplication. So that means this, that our activities should be God-centered and be God-blessed. 
You think about our lives and you think about our responsibility. So when I say to you as a New Testament believer and as with somebody we write down in our doctrinal statement, we say, well, we don't have to go through a father. We can go straight to the throne room. And we say, that's wonderful. Glory to God. Hallelujah. But then notice, don't forget the responsibility we find in Philippians. And that is that we are to pray about everything. In 1 Thessalonians, that we're to pray without ceasing. And you find our responsibility. You notice the statement down at the bottom. Prayer is both the believer's privilege and the responsibility. And I believe God challenges us. I, I personally have never preached on prayer or heard a message on prayer that I don't think I need to pray more. <laughs> that I think about keeping my, keeping my heart in tune with Him that at a moment's notice we can pray and we can be seeking Him. And my challenge to you is this, let this theme not just be something that is in our doctrinal statement, but let this theme be something that is in our daily practice. That we are believers who believe that access has been granted to the Father by the Lord Jesus Christ, the veil rent in twain, and we can come boldly, we can pray always, and we can pray about everything. I want you to bow with me in prayer.